Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. At C3, we exist to help people pattern their lives after Jesus. This message was first given as part of our teaching series at C3. Well, we are continuing uh, our series in Mark. We are in Mark chapter 12 today. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn in your Bible, you can go to on your Bible phone, or you can follow along on the screen. All of those are accepted uh, by this in this church. So we are going to pick up in Mark chapter 12, verse 35 today. says this, while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself called, calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Ouch. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Today's sermon title is called Go All In for Jesus. Uh, I went to DeKalb High School. I'm a DeKalb Baron, very proud of that. Uh, It's the local high school, if you're not uh, familiar. Um, And um, one of the, it's just, it was just an amazing, one of my greatest experience of like my teenage years is running out underneath those Friday night lights, like the crowd cheering, the, uh, the, the marching band, uh, playing the music, you know, it's just, everybody's just like, so there's just this huge adrenaline rush, right? That when you, when you go out onto the field and you're ready to take on the other team, we weren't very good. So then we got crushed. Um, but it felt good for that moment, right? It's usually East Noble just direct. I know there's some East Noble people. They always just beat us. I don't know what you guys put in your water over there. It's like everybody's just huge. Like just, they just crushed us. But one of the things I just, I dreaded every year, especially when I was an underclassman was two-a-days in football season, right? And so as you get into two-a-days, it means two-a-days means two practices a day. Uh, and they, they would always do this in August before we went back to school. And uh, you, you, uh, you would have these practices, and one of the main things that you would do is conditioning, which is like, oh, I just didn't like that at the time. But the other thing was tackling drills. And I can remember, like, uh, as like an under.
underclassmen, we would be standing in line, and, and one person would be the ball carrier, and the other person would be the, in the tackling line. And uh, you would always kind of like try to look ahead to see how many people were in front of you, and then try to count in the other line of who you would have to go against. And if you were an underclassman, you would try to be like switching spaces. Oh my gosh, I don't want to go against that big dude. Like, I am going to absolutely get murdered, right? Like, just absolutely blasted. And one of the things that the coaches would tell us over and over and over again was that don't be timid. Don't go half speed. If you flinch or if you go half speed, right, you're absolutely, you're going to get hurt, right? You got to trust your equipment. You've got you've to you've trust that, you know, the, your helmet and your shoulder pads and all that's going to take care of you. And it was always the kids who like flinched or like look like deer in headlights, right? Like they freeze right in the moment. They would like, we'd have to like drag them off. Uh, trainer, trainer, here you go. And uh, like, I can remember like these, these kids, right? Like, and there would like, no matter what the coaches would say, there would always just be one like sophomore or one like freshman, right? That would just, they would freeze up or they would flinch or they would look and it was just like, boom. Oh, like, oh, that's going to leave a mark, right? Oh, that poor kid, right? And, but if you went full speed, everybody walked away from the drill and they were usually fine. They're absolutely usually fine. But I'll tell you what, when you're on the other end and you're a senior, man, it's a lot of fun to be like, oh, there they are. There's that, there's that sophomore. Oh man, here it comes, right? Okay. That's just a football thing. I know I'm really not that cruel. Okay. But that it's just something about football, right? But it's about going all in. In our passage, we see uh, different groups of people and how they react to God. We have the religious leaders that hold back. We have the rich people who hold back from God. They give money away that they don't really aren't going to miss. But we actually see we, in this passage, we also see a widow and she just is all in for God. She gives absolutely everything that she has. And that's something I want to talk to you about. Are we all in for Jesus? Do we go all in for Jesus or do we hold back? Do we flinch? Do we not trust? What are we holding back from God? In verse 35 in today's passage, we read, uh, while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why did the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David, David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? So Jesus gives a little bit of a riddle. And all of this comes from Psalm, actually, uh, Psalm 110. Psalm 110 was the most, one of the most well-known psalms by the Jews. They would say this over and over again. They had it memorized. People knew what Jesus was talking about, especially the religious leaders. So King David was the, like, the man back in the day. So of all God's people, if you don't know much about the Old Testament, King David was the most, one of the, like, the most famous king. All right, and underneath the, the influence of the Holy Spirit, uh, David wrote this psalm. But he calls in this, this psalm, he says, uh, he, he calls his great, 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 whatever grandson or whatever that who, who was to be the, the king to be in the future, his master or his Lord. So, so a lot of the Jewish people, they all believed that the coming Messiah, the promised king, the anointed Christ, the one that would come and to save the people 
would be the great, 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 great grandson of King David. It would come right through that line. And actually, if you pick up the beginning of Matthew's gospel, Matthew's gospel is intended for a Jewish audience. It starts with this long lineage of like, this person gave birth to this person and this person and this person. But it shows that Jesus came from the line of David, that this is actually a really important thing, that the promised Messiah would come. But the thing is that something that somebody would never say is that, that this is really surprising by King David, is that the one that would come, your great, 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 whatever grandson is actually greater than you. Nobody would have said that. David is king. Nobody's greater than a king except for God. And that is the point that Jesus is trying to get across. That the coming Messiah is not just the anointed king to come to rescue Israel. He is the son of God. And that's what Mark has been trying to tell us from verse 1 of chapter 1. He says, this is the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And when, when Jesus says that he is greater, he's going to be greater than David, everybody in the crowd, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people around, right? They just, they come all around and, and they're, they're just holding on to Jesus' words. It says this, a large crowd listened to him with delight. You know, it's like when you're listening to a comedian or you listen to a sermon or a podcast or whatever, and it's like you're just in like the, you feel like they're just in the, in the palm. You're just in their palm, right? Like you're just with the speaker, you're tracking, you're with them, right? This crowd is leaning in to what Jesus has to say. In verse 38, we pick up, it says, As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. Where is Jesus right now? He's in the temple. Where are all the religious leaders? They're all in earshot. Like, Jesus is calling these guys out right in front of their face. There's the Sanhedrin. The 72 people that are in charge of the temple are all there. The Pharisees, the, the, the chief leaders, all of those guys, right? They're right there listening to Jesus. So he's saying this right to their faces. He says this, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in their flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. And so these, these religious leaders, they would wear these long flowing robes and, and, and for whatever you think about robes or whatever, these robes were so expensive. These robes would feed families for weeks that everybody else had was dirt poor at that time. And these religious leaders, they were, they were wealthy. And religious leaders had two things in that society. Number one, they had great wealth. And number two, they had great, great respect. And they are taking advantage of the system, right? That, that everybody else is just being oppressed. They're being oppressed over the, underneath the Romans. And, and really, they're, they're not helping. They're, they're just adding to the cause. They're acting like they're better than everybody else. They're less interested in, in helping people get to God, but they're more interested in, in having authority and wealth and prestige for themselves. They're taking advantage of their positions, in the local synagogues, it says uh, they liked the seat uh, of honor or the most important seat in the synagogue. The synagogue was like the local church. That they would have these special seats or these special boxes or like Torah boxes that they were called. And they would have little benches up there where everybody, all you guys would be like, if I had a special seat while the band were playing, I just had like a little special seat up here and you all had to look at me like a little throne. 
right? Can you imagine that? I just have a little throne. I sit and drink my coffee and be like, you know, look at all of you guys, right? Or whatever. And they had these long flowing robes that made them look important, that they were really flashy and things like that. They would go in, this is an honor-shame culture. And when they would go into people's houses, this, the hospitality was a really important thing and having a meal together meant a lot. And so they would always go and they would sit in the most important seats. They would sit at the head of the table. And the, the foot of the table was like, oh, that's just where, that's where the riffraff sits. Those are where the unimportant people sit. And the religious leader you know, they, would, they wouldn't take, you know, they would always like, oh, well, I'm important, so I'm going to sit at the head of the table. I'm going to sit where the prominent spots are, right? And, and Jesus actually teaches the opposite, right? He says the last will be first and the first will be last, right? Jesus says that's what the Son of Man has come to do. It's not about being first. It's about being last. And the religious leaders, they did exactly the opposite. But here's where it really hits. I mean, Jesus is like, Man, I know that Jesus, we all love, like, you know, Jesus, give me a hug. Jesus is love, all that thing. But this is what Jesus says to the religious leaders. He doesn't hold back. He says, they devour widows' houses and, and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Yikes. Wow, Jesus, not holding back, right? So widows uh, usually had debt. Um, uh, uh, widows, uh, they lacked influential advocates that would kind of look after them. Um, people of sta status could often seize their houses, um, even though scripture over and over and over again said, look after the widows, look after the orphans, look after uh, those who are immigrants, look at the ones that are the vulnerable ones of society. And yet what the Pharisees or, or the religious leaders are doing at that time is they're not looking after these people. They're taking advantage of these people. So you, what you have to remember is that even though these people taught the law, they also did litigation, which means that they executed the religious side of the law, which in some way that whether it was widows or whether it was other vulnerable people or whatever they were doing, they're actually taking advantage of vulnerable people who have no rights and pushing them further and further down in society. And Jesus has had enough of their hypocrisy and their eloquent prayers. They're less interested in that relationship with God, but they're more in, of, of like what they're teaching, right? Or what they're praying, like, look at my prayers, look at what I'm doing. And God doesn't care about our lengthy prayers. He doesn't care how eloquent the prayers are. He doesn't care about any of that. What God is really after is he is after your heart. But isn't it really interesting that Jesus in the Gospels, he spent a lot of time warning people who thought they were in the in crowd, right? He warned them, but he also, he spent a lot of time blessing people who were in the out crowd. I just think about what that would be today. I feel like Jesus would be really hard on people who are churched, and then he'd be really into blessing people who were far from God. He's huge and welcoming but he doesn't leave us there. He actually challenges us deeply to be authentic, to give him our whole heart, to hold nothing back. In verse 41, it says, Jesus sat down opposite of the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. 
Jesus' people watching. Come on, where are my people watchers? Do you know who they are? Who likes people watching? Anybody at the mall, in the coffee shop window? Okay, we're all creeps. I'm a little creepy as well, right? Like Esther and I used to do this all the time in Sheffield because a lot of people walk there. They don't walk so much here. They just drive to the coffee shop. But like we would sit in like that in Starbucks window and we just watch people. People are fascinating, by the way. It's just so interesting. And sorry, I'm a, we are creeps a little bit. So, um, but there were 13 giving boxes around the temple where you could go and you could put your tax or you could go and put your offering in. Okay. And so Jesus is kind of people watching. So the rich kind of, they just, they're, they're giving these large amounts, right? Or whatever. But this poor little, this poor little widow comes along and she gives two copper pennies right? She gives everything she absolutely has, right? And, and Jesus uses this as a teaching moment to his disciples. He says this, he says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all others. They gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. The rich people gave money that they would never miss, but this woman gave out of deep sacrifice. She gave to the point that it hurt, where she didn't know where her next day, where she would eat or where she would live or anything. This widow gave it all, meaning that she trusted God with everything for her protection and provision. And the thing is for you and for me that God isn't interested in the size or the amount of our gifts, or, but he is interested in our heart behind it. The same with, with our serving or our time or our talents and our treasures, all of those things. God is not interested in the amount. He is interested in the heart. Jesus does not reward based on the amount, but he rewards based on abandoning your whole life, your whole heart over to him. The religious and the rich, they hold back. They hold something. They might even be interested in a little bit about God, but they're really more in it for themselves. They're making a show. It's all about them. Meanwhile, the widow, she is all in. The others, they're more of the fake it to make it. The hypocrisies, which Jesus calls out over and over again. What Jesus sees in us is he looks not about how much we give in our time, talents, and treasures, but he cares about our heart, our motivation, our attitude, our priorities, what we value, what we turn our attention to over and over again. The poor widow gave more to the offering than all of the others combined because she gave her whole heart. They gave what they would never miss, but she extravagantly gave to the point of what she couldn't afford. She gave her all over to God. So my question for us today is, is there anywhere in your life that you are holding back from God? And if so, why? How you answer that question goes back to our original riddle that Jesus gave from Psalm 110. Because I think in a lot of the times that we like to see, uh, we believe in Jesus that we like, um, that he is our God. We believe him as God. But do we want him as master or Lord over our lives? Are we really willing to submit every area of our lives over to Jesus? And if I'm honest, I think that all of us, myself included, we, we hold back. We hold back certain areas of our lives. 
that it's really hard to go all in for Jesus because we don't fully trust him. It's hard to fully submit our lives, and it takes a lifelong of following Jesus to do this. We're doing the financial peace course on Thursday nights at the YMCA. We've got 22 people in our class. And one thing that Dave Ramsey says, I'm glad Dave Ramsey gives the hard-delivered news um, sometimes. And, and whatever you think about Dave Ramsey doesn't matter, but um, he says that people like to follow some of his plan, but then like kind of pick and choose other. And he calls it... Um, Dave, they do Dave-ish, right? They say, he says, and then he says, ish is a wish. And, you know, that, that some people are, are all, it's interesting to learn how to do a budget, but I don't really want to, I don't really want to cut up my credit cards or I don't really want to, like, I don't really want to, like, tackle debt the way that he says. I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm smarter than that. And I, you know, I, I anyways, people, you know, and he calls it Dave-ish, right? That, that people are kind of willing to do it, but I don't really want to submit and do the plan. And then I got thinking about my own life. I thought about, you know, times where I've tried to like diet or do a workout plan or a reading plan. I'm like, oh, I kind of want to do that, but I kind of also want to just do it my way. I kind of just want to do it. Yeah, I think there's some good things to learn there, but I just think I kind of want to really do it my way. And I just got me thinking about how often that we, we, we look at God's word and we, we look at the words of Jesus in his life and we say, oh, I want to do Jesus-ish. I want to do Jesus-ish. Like how many of us are happy that Jesus forgives our sins, but really I'm the authority over my own body. I want to choose my own gender. I want to choose how if I want to be with that person or if I want to sleep with that person or whatever. We do, are we going to look at God and what he says and give him authority? It's, we don't actually own anything. We're not the authority of our own body. Actually, God is. Everything that he gives us actually belongs to him. Or maybe, for another example, maybe you're happy to go to small group, but you don't really want to like open up and really get real or talk with anybody. Like you don't really want to be authentic because you know that's just too personal. And so you never really grow as a person. You you hold back from God with those who are actually trying to love you and champion you to be a better disciple of Jesus. Or maybe it's that you're just really happy to attend church, but I'm not going to give to church. <laughs> I don't have anything. I don't have anything to give. Again, it's not the amount, it's the heart. But that happens, the thing is, if you don't give when you have nothing, you'll never be able to give when you have everything. It's a muscle that you will never develop in your life. Whether it's inside the church or whether it's generous to other people outside of the church, you won't be working the muscles of generosity. We don't fully submit to God because we don't fully trust God or whatever the thing that it is for your life. There's a great theologian um, slash Anglican pastor uh, from England, um, and he once said this about submitting to God. He said this, the Christian is under both instruction and authority. He believes what he believes because Jesus taught it, and he does what he does because Jesus told him or her to do it. It's not enough just to read about it in our Bibles and to go home or to hear about it on a sermon. God wants to put us these things into practice, to fully submit our lives, 
over to him. And the truth is that we will never be fully free until we really fully submit to God's plan and authority over our lives. That Jesus is himself God and king over our entire lives. I'm calling us today, don't hesitate, don't flinch, don't hold back, don't be fooled by the false promises and happiness that, the, that our world is promising you. Don't do Dave-ish, or don't do Dave-ish, don't do Jesus-ish, there we go. Go all in for Jesus. And at this time, I'm going to invite the band back up, and we're going to share in the Lord's Supper. But I just wanted to end by, um, by reading out, if you guys would like to stand with me as well, that would be awesome. I just wanted to read you the words from the Apostle Paul from Philippians 2, chapter 5 to 10. And also in our last song, um, everybody's, if you believe in Jesus, you are welcome to come and take communion. What you're going to do is we're going to have a line here and we're going to have a line over there. And as you come forward, um, take the wafer and just dip a little bit of it into the grape juice. If you are gluten-free or you're not feeling 100% today or for whatever reason, we actually have um, gluten-free little, I don't want to call them snack packs, but (laughs) pre-wrapped communion things back on that table back there. It didn't feel right to call it like that. Okay. So little communion uh, pre-packaged ones back there. So for whatever reason, if you're gluten-free or if maybe you're not feeling well, you don't want to come and share all your germs with us, we'd greatly appreciate that. Awesome. So these are the words from Philippians 2, 5 to 10 about Jesus' Jesus's submission. He who, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Jesus held nothing back for us when he gave his life on the cross for us. I encourage us all to take that step of faith to continue to trust Jesus and go all in for him. hope that this message helps you to grow in a relationship with Jesus. Connect with us at classiccitychurch.org.